0: Welcome to the podcast, everybody. So today I actually have uh, one long topic because I've been reading on it like crazy. This occurred since my conversation with Dr. Decay, where at the end of it, he said, Charlie, what is going on with men? And I didn't know what he meant. (laughs) I wasn't really sure what he was referring to. Told him what was happening with the men in my life. (laughs) And uh, afterwards, I sort of looked it up and I've seen and read about it, but that, from a number of different people with a number of different ideas, there is a crisis of masculinity. Um, So I read a number of books, and let's start with what the foundation of what I think he was pointing to is raw data-wise. Men seem to be, by a lot of standards, performing not only worse than women, but worse than they used to as well. So if you look at uh, the number of men that are going to school, relative to women, it's down a lot. Women are uh, in, make up like almost 60%, I think, of people in college right now, and college is associated with a number of positive outcomes economically and for your life. Men are doing worse in school. Suicide is up. Incarceration is up. That pro- that's like ninety three percent. Let's men. go, men. Let's go, men. <laughs> Let's get this number. Wrong, wrong statistic. <laughs> you've got uh, lighter versions of that, which is the failure to launch. More men are at home with mom and dad, not succeeding, and all of these outcomes. You know, you can imagine the other ones. You've heard about them leading to a crisis of masculinity. Then on the other hand, you've got some people saying that masculinity has this toxic element or is inherently toxic. And so there's what people have noticed, what seems to be a number of young men or boys looking for role models, some of which the public doesn't approve of. That could mean Andrew Tate for one person. That could mean Jordan Peterson for another person. Um, So that's sort of the, the grounding. The first thing that I thought when I read that is that I'm not sure that this points to a crisis for men. Uh, it could just be that things are happening in society and men are the more volatile sex. So when violence goes up in any society, it's likely to be the men who are doing it. Mm. But it doesn't mean that women aren't suffering. And it just means that they're perhaps less likely to take their own lives or commit a crime or wind up in jail as a result of it. Um, and as we'll talk about, one of the big things that people think is driving this, this is the epidemic of fatherless homes and lack of realm of male role models, which you can imagine how that impacts young boys who maybe get involved with a gang, wind up committing a crime, go to jail. That shows up in that stat, but it doesn't show up in the young girl in that family who maybe doesn't wind up in jail, maybe doesn't commit suicide, but perhaps does self-harm or something, begins to cut or just falls in love and has a baby at a young age with a guy who is, reminds her of her absent dad and he then ups and leaves and now she's on her own, right? Gotcha. So I'm not certain that crisis of masculinity or the boy crisis is one of the books that i read is the best way of framing it Uh, i think that people like to read and learn about themselves though and there has been such a focus on women's problems that there's this seeming hunger to have the spotlight shown in the other direction um Gotcha. So that's like the background of what's the state of men today. Yes. Which
1: you misinterpreted when he asked the question.
0: Yeah. I, I was thinking, I just didn't know what he was pointing to because selection bias, My the group of men in my life don't have failure to launch syndrome, are successful in that way, are not in jail, uh, do not have children even at 30 years old, right? So they're not, fa- they're not uh, contributing to fatherless homes. And when they do have kids at 30, they are very active fathers. Um, so- Got it. So you read, because uh, we did this podcast, all right,
1: two books that you said presented this situation and then some solutions or
0: like uh, made you think differently about the state state of men today? Yeah. So here's what I've sort of cobbled together. I read No More Mr. Nice Guy. And again, this is not like the end of literature. And then I sort of got sucked into the YouTube and all of these. There's a whole ecosystem of, of people identifying the problem and proposing solutions that has cropped up around this and there's a real hunger and you see even I would include Andrew Tate very primarily in that ecosystem of people offering some sort of a solution to this problem which is generation or more of lost men seeking a role model for a life that seems uh, to not have the clearly defined gender roles that you might have had in the past so Mm. this takes us to uh, what people are saying is the cause of these things and there's debate about this but one is that uh fatherlessness is up and you can point to uh the removal of religion as a central organizing principle the inclusion of women in the workforce meaning that it's more now economically safe for them to get a divorce which means that men can leave the home or they can decide to have a child without having firm commitment from the man that he's going to stick around and that can be a Decision that does not spell uh, complete, what is it, just expulsion from social society and death, it can be a workable, though difficult, situation to be a single mother nowadays, which means that we have a lot more uh, single mothers and a lot more households without dads. Uh, Even in the households with dads, which I think this was our sort of experience, is that looking back, you might have expected dad to... Work in the field. It's easier to say mom. Mom to stay home and take care of the kids and do all the uh, sure, feminine so,
1: tasks. And while the dad provided all the financial and
0: whatever, you know? Well, finances is relatively new. So, you know, what, we have our hunter gatherer origins, which people talk about that, you know, the men, the men went hunting and then they came back, but they were still present in the lives of their children in right. a perhaps more higher volume way than. And they were needed. And they were needed, right? So they, like, they, they went out, but they came back. So there was interaction with men much more. If you go to the, then you got post-agrarian societies where there's a farm and young boys and young daughters experience their dad, you know, providing for the house in that way. Our generation, we now have this very active financial capitalist thing where dad leaves the house, maybe comes home in the evening, or if you have our dad, is a salesman and is traveling for, you know, days and, you know, most of the week sometimes. So that there is less face time with dad and something that is different is whereas it has always been the domain of women to raise infants these people these books that i've read argue that there was a time in a young boy's life particularly when it came to adolescence but even starting before that where he was pulled into men activities increasingly he was taught to track or hunt or fish throw throw <laughs> yeah whatever right throw the throw the spear And then particularly, there was this rite of passage around the age of of 13 where you would be pulled into out-of-the-boy condition of life into the man condition of life. And they point to some of the existing rituals that exist in indigenous societies where the men will put on masks in the night and come and steal the 13-year-old boy away from their mother, and the mother will scream even though she knows what's happening, and they'll take him out. And cover him in fire ants, <laughs> like it'll be it'll be a very difficult experience. But when he comes back from that, he's entered into the world of men and he's now expected to have the authority, responsibility, and understanding of a man. Now, of course, that doesn't happen all at once, but what these books point to is that this sort of graduating experience where one goes from connected to mother, dependent to provider connected to men, you know, and also, of course, sharing, you know, relationships with women uh, doesn't really exist in our society. And one thing that I know clicked with you was the idea that if you look at who your and my and everyone that I know experienced as a kid, of course, they had their dad, but probably they saw more of mom. And if there was a caretaker, it was a woman. And if it went to school in kindergarten or yeah, pre-K. Yeah, this is what
1: struck me is when you said this, uh, I was like, oh my God, from zero to sixth grade, I didn't have a male teacher. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited to get Mr. Crowley in like sixth or fifth grade. Yeah, I remember. I rem- <laughs> and he was a new teacher and he was 25 years old. Yes. And I thought he was the most athletic guy ever. Do
0: you rem- and I remember this, we, if you have an older cousin or an older, like the opportunity to spend time with an older guy when you were young and I, I was that for you to a degree because mm-hmm. I'm five years older, yeah, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have that. <laughs> there yeah, was yeah. like, I, I really didn't experience that or get that. And I remember the rush and the thrill of being, cause we also had older female cousins. And while I wanted to spend time with them, it wasn't the same as being included in the, the rare times that had happened with the guys and if you look at the probably the amount of face time that you had with men uh, as a kid, given the way that we've organized our society, it's pretty low. And that even persists up through high school where there's still, I think, a primarily uh, females make up the majority of, of teachers. So there's not an opportunity for that watching, modeling, felt understanding of what it is to be a man. And then you see things like Andrew Tate and people explaining all this stuff and you go like, You know, how did you learn to interact with women? Well, let me think back. I watched kids my own age (laughs) and I read books and and went on YouTube eventually and was like, oh, this is the truth. But there was never, I never had a demonstration from an older guy. I'm trying to think. Some people maybe saw a senior in their school do it or something like that. But I I really never had that mentor-mentee relationship. Right. Uh, And I don't think a lot of people do. I'm also thinking about
1: um, just being menteed or mentored by the teachers. And it was like I learned their language of communication, which uh, in large parts now is like tell me about your feeling style of communication yeah. that seems like a very feminine thing. And then I was just having a, vi- a memory of a family party where I like, hung out with the older guys for once. And there was like grunts. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like this is also new to me but also like very – everyone didn't want to be there but it was like, like – Mm. There wasn't this frenzy that everything was needed to be solved or anything. They were having a beer sitting and like the frenzy of the women around. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is a different thing. Mm. Um Not all that to say there, but like, Oh, just again, a different language that you speak with uh, an older male
0: counterpart rather than a, a woman. Mm-hmm. And not, I think, uh, thank you for saying that. I just, well, t- to make sure that people understand, not saying that women don't communicate in both ways and men don't, but, that if you look on average, the, the mode of communication and, and the expectation that a female teacher might have of a male student or a female student might be talk about your feelings, work things out, et cetera, versus – not that it's one-to-one, but if you were to have you know been seen by your male teacher throwing a great touchdown pass, mm-hmm. the reaction that you would receive from him versus whatever your 55-year-old teacher that you actually had who was a woman – was one of she doesn't notice that, care about that, value that, or say anything. And he goes, nice throw. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And so there's a, a, just a different thing that is being selected for by the types of things that men and women cultivate, notice, and appreciate in young people. And if you're someone who doesn't, ha- or doesn't come easily to you to, uh, resolve things with words or your feelings or sit down, raise your hand, speak up, as opposed to act, you know, play dodgeball, whatever it is. And now they're shutting down gym, gym classes. Have you heard about this? No, no, no. Oh, my gosh. So we're going to have them here. Ryan, who has helped us with like titles and thumbnails and all this kind of things. was telling me that their gym class and their self-defense classes have been turned into, I think they're called stop classes. Which is like, hey man, <laughs> preventative. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Preventative. Walk away. Don't you know? Now they discuss things as opposed to like kinetically working through. Here's how you protect yourself. Now they work on verbal skills and even just the focus on verbal abstraction to versus physical doing. Ooh, bummer. Uh, men are losing their purpose. If we can't
1: go die in a war or protect <laughs> people, we just have to use our words. I think we're going to be
0: disenfranchised. So that's, uh, that's what the boy crisis talks about, uh, which is a book by Warren Farrell. And his general idea, amongst many, is that there's this purpose hole where we used to bribe men to sacrifice their health and, you know, maybe die. In a war or in backbreaking labor, or, and we still have remnants of this in the types of jobs that men pick. Which you know, when you look at people who die on the job, the predominantly men. When you look at wars being fought, Ukraine being a prime example, the women flee to the west, and the and the men often stay. Not to say that women don't participate in the war as well, but it is uh, obviously uh, a gendered. A for men. It's an obviously gendered response. Yeah, to, to these types of things. Um, and particularly, it's also an age response, which is this is the thing that younger men do. And so that cultural expectation that you're going to sacrifice yourself uh, persists. And we lionize that. And so we were, you know, when Kevin Durant two years ago went in on a bad leg to the finals and shot two threes and then tore his Achilles and was out for a year, that was like, brother. Yeah. And way, to, way to try. Yeah, when they when you sacrifice your body and probably fifty million dollars. When you get a concussion, you get back in there. I mean, I remember there was a kid on your basketball team. <laughs> you, you know who I'm talking about? Oh
1: he yeah. Put his
0: head into the bleachers, and his dad said,
1: "Get back out get there." Back out and there. I think he, I don't think he loved him any more than that moment when he, he just went back in with a broken nose and a concussion. Yeah. And everyone's like, "I think his nose is sideways." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god. Um, the bleeding. <laughs> but there's. A, and and that's, you know... Fortunately, I think there was some response amongst the collective that, like, this is not necessary. That was toxic. Well, here's why. If it had been a playoff game for the high school team, though, maybe get back out there. But this was an intramural game, and it was just a regular season, so it was unnecessary. But there's still this idea that, like, willing to hurt, suffer, sacrifice yourself to win the competition is what is desired and wanted and needed. And, importantly... It's a way to distinguish yourself as a young man. I think the other thing that young men experience, which is very different, uh, and again, there's, I want to make clear, there are absolutely uh, shadow downsides of this for young women as well. When young women hit sexual maturity and start to develop, they are invited at 18 and 19 to the senior party. They are included in society. They are desirable when you are an 18 or 19-year-old male and you have done nothing to distinguish yourself, you are excluded from that party. You cannot come unless you bring three girls to the frat house or whatever. And so there's this... Certainly from the older generation, regardless of your looks. This was just true of my, when I grew up. There's, there's ladies' nights. Ladies' nights are free. You guys gotta, you gotta pay. Yeah. Like you weren't... You, you couldn't participate... And you weren't wanted at a lot of the social events as a young man. And I think increasingly, like, I think this is just true, people tend not to want to or like young men, 18, 19. They're boisterous, they cause problems, all these kinds of things. are super hormonal, trying to uh, separate themselves from their friends by doing sometimes crazy, dangerous things. Uh, And there's not an outlet because, you know, we just don't have that sort of way anymore. Not that it's good to have a war. But the question is, well, if not that, then what can we apply ourselves to? Mm. And, you know, some things have risen. There's business. But uh, what happens to all the men that are left behind? In the past, they maybe didn't make it. They died. And that was the answer to that question, grim as it was. What is the answer today? Well, the answer today is they're incels. They're, you know, controlling internet forums. They're living in basements. They're having a harder time dating and getting involved in the workforce. And there's that section of people that continue to struggle and it doesn't end for them. Not that it should. So we need to find some sort of uh, solution and the solutions abound. You've got Jordan Peterson on the one hand who's, you know, take responsibility. Don't wait for the government or anyone to come do it for you. Andrew Tate's in a similar boat and, and men find that incredibly empowering. And what I found interesting is that a lot of these books talk about how social systems can change and what we expect of men can change. And I'm curious what you think. What you, I found what, yeah, what do you mean social systems can change? They were like, you know, the women want men to sacrifice themselves and we have to stop placing these expectations on men that they um, become so self-sacrificial or that, you know, if women are, if we're going to have a society and where we encourage women to go make the same amount of money as men and they make up a larger percentage of the workforce but then we're going to expect men to pay for most things the math doesn't add up there's not enough money to pay for the women because the women are earning that money so like we're just going to have a society where people are disappointed there are women expecting men to pay for them and there is literally not enough money in the hands of men to do that Mm. so how do you start a family when you can't be attracted to someone based on the rules of the game that you've set up right uh if everybody gets one, right? And then what happens is, well, maybe everybody doesn't get one. Maybe the one guy who has all the resources gets a whole bunch and women put off having babies. And this is sort of the red pill argument of what has uh, begun to happen. So I thought that all of that was super interesting and uh, don't know that I've consolidated my answer. But one thing that I did find personally impactful was this other book that I read, which is No More Mr. Nice Guy. And it talks about a number of things that lead to, this is related, nice guy syndrome. So nice guy syndrome, according to the author, who I think's name is Robert Glover, is, what's that? Doctor, Dr. Rob. Yep. Uh, This is, I think I should get the quote. It's essentially men who learned, but it can be women as well at a young age that being who they were was not enough to be accepted. So they learned to be who
1: they needed to be in order to fit in. Yeah. The quote that struck me was like, you learn to be good or you learn mm-hmm. to do the right thing. And then who dictated the right thing was often, um, your mom. And then it modeled later as your dating partner later in life. And so he, uh, I only read the first few chapters, but was giving a lot of case studies of guys who were the nice guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. I didn't have a ton of um, similarities, but I was like, "Oh, I definitely know what it means to try to do good and be the right guy in the turn in the eyes of what my mom wants mm-hmm. versus like a strong male model. What he would say, yeah. and I don't even know what he would
0: say. I know <laughs> how to be a good guy. <laughs> you know, it's not like dad wasn't there, but the point that he makes out that you're alluding to is that children, and it's you can call this nice guy, but this is what it is to be a child." Uh, need to be accepted by their parental figures in order to survive so we have when we see ourselves as children as both the center of the universe and the cause of everything so when mom turns away from us we go i did that not she had a hard day at work or she's being neglectful or whatever it's what have i done and when we do something that she can't handle what have i done the argument where these sort of intersect is that if you look at how children are being raised today differently from in the past, where they were getting a mix of two flawed human beings, but like mom's things that mom liked and dad's things that dad liked, and those might balance a bit more evenly, there's big, be, there's be, what has occurred is an imbalance in who you've learned to please. And so you have these generations of men that have come up primarily interested in pleasing women, which is novel, of course, there's always been men competing for women, but this, and I, I feel that felt this deeply. Uh, he, he, God, I felt absolutely just like, oof, pointed to in a number of these. And then in other ones, I was like, that's not me at all, but I think I have a light, <laughs> as it goes, a light case of it given my, my history. But the strong desire to be approved of, liked by, and chosen by women, which evolves as you grow up to sexually selected by women, And I think a defense of that is, oh, it's just biology. But when I look at my own psychology, I see that there's the validation of being liked means a lot. And it's not simply like I'm trying to spread my genes, biologically speaking. It's this seems to have been put into me over the course of my life. Um, And also a really strong desire to distinguish and be different from other men, which I have felt intensely throughout. And I I couldn't have labeled it that, I wanted to be better, right? So I wanted to, whereas other guys, which I'll just give you a for instance, like didn't care if women orgasm during sex. I really, really cared if that happened. And I thought that that, and of course there's something that's kind and thoughtful and nice about that, but I thought that that um, would A, make me different, but really ultimately make me more needed, liked and appreciated by women. And in exploring the deeper roots of that in myself as I read this book, I see that the side effect when that isn't balanced with a connection to oneself is that my the way that I have behaved both to attract women, insects, whatever, can be disconnecting from myself in order to please be, get whatever they want so that they want to be around me all the time. And then what that has created in my own particular life is uh commitment issues because I before you
1: before before you go any further, that is the moment of the disconnection is the the loss of authentic self, the move into Mr. Nice Guy, right? Yes. Yes. And so by going into Mr. Nice Guy, uh you're doing something to please someone else and this book is trying to get you back to your authentic
0: self, right? Yeah, and it's it's describing all of the ways that you can be that you can do this. So uh, whatever, for example, would be. And by being
1: your authentic self, presumably you're more
0: attractive. It's not important that you're more attractive. That is the difficult thing. Because the nice guy, and it's, this is why it's insidious. I thought, when I read this book years ago, I went, that's not me at all. I, like, I looked at it, because a lot of them are not me. It's like, you know, after doing the dishes for the fourth day in a row and cleaning everything up, Dan is tired and puts the rag down. His wife gets home and says, you forgot to do the counters. Dan feels, and I'm looking at that, I'm going, that's not me. Like, I never, ever. And I had this sense of myself that I'm, which I am, stubborn, willful, <laughs> sometimes, like, not going to help out in these particular ways. But there's also... The medium
1: s- they chose also was cleaning dishes. And you're like, I
0: don't clean dishes. I don't dishes. clean dishes. And then if he just chose a slightly different medium, it what would be What I you. do is I earn enough money to make sure that I have a maid that makes sure that you don't have to clean. <laughs> and that's the truth, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's so I viewed myself as different from that. And I think what I did is I almost reacted to the prior generation of nice guys, which were simps, right? They were like overtly weak simping for women and I think if you look at a lot of red pill stuff these are just evolved simps which they said oh the the simping that I thought would work which is giving her everything she wanted doesn't work but I found out that being edgier and saying no and drawing hard lines and mm, I'm gonna do it and I don't you know that actually attracts women so I'm gonna be that <laughs> and, it's, well, also, and it's equally big inauthentic point,
1: big, yeah a big point that you just caught up is like paying for everything can seem as a masculine trait Mm -hmm. that you don't really care because you have the money to do so unless your intention is to have make all your money so that you can just give it to this person so that they can give you the validation and you can be accepted which is like right back into the Mr. Nice Guy thing it's just I'm different than those guys I don't do the dishes but someone else does but I Mm -hmm. make sure there's no way that those dishes don't get done by someone else she's not doing the dishes it's all about pleasing her and uh me not being who i whatever that Mm -hmm. authentic person
0: is yes and and i think it's very complicated because i got to tell you like two years ago three years ago i would not have seen myself in any of this i can point to all the ways in which i am selfish don't you know i I have there's i guess there's a shadow side of this which you see which is which they sort of point to which is when you are controlled by something in this case the feminine There. Because A split occurs, and you have this simultaneous attraction, love, adoration, idealization of it, some of the time and in some circumstances. And on the flip side, this resistance, fighting, hatred to, etc. And so, for me, that's like commitment issues, which would look like, in relationships, I would verbally draw really strong boundaries when you come i am not going to stop playing my video games i'm you know, like that's not how we do things here i'm, I'm going to do it my way like i was very very clear about that and it to me looked like that was my understanding of how i held myself when i look deeper into that it's like i my boundaries are so flat fragile so incapable of handling maturely somebody else's rec- desire, demand, request, push against them, that I have to etch them in the sand and point to them constantly because I have, because at some level I haven't learned how to say no Mm. and, and hold that and be sincerely okay and unperturbed with you while maintaining compassion. And I think if you look at, you know, the different male role models, no one is perfect, but when I listen to Andrew Tate, I see, okay, that guy's, you know, doesn't give a damn, but also, lies, manipulates to women, you know, talks about good ways to cheat, talks about the things that you say to essentially gaslight her, and then, you know, into, what, you're worried about that other girl? I just watched this of him. That's just a ho, that's just nobody, I thought me and you had something serious, you know, and implied, he says this to many women, which yeah. is, that is a lie yeah. <laughs> at that point, uh, talking about how he would lie in his camming industry about the amount of taxes that they had or how much they needed him yeah seems like
1: you're pointing to the shadow he has that centeredness that he won't let his do you think well so tell me on your psychoanalysis do you think he has a strong (laughs) do you think he
0: has a strong boundary that or is he doing the bluster of saying the things I'll do Andrew Tate in a minute I actually think Andrew Tate is very interesting but I think what you sort of see is you get this split where you have simultaneously what I see in Andrew Tate is a true I mean he's he's locked in he's centered he's like clear and strong also seems very concerned with what women think has molded himself into someone that women like and has tried to have lots of women and seems to think a lot about women while insisting at this on the other hand that he doesn't think a lot about what women want right so I do see some of that but I think that Andrew Tate is a little bit more than that Mm -hmm. uh, which I'll talk about um fuck it I'll do it now Um, Another book that I read was King, Magician, Warrior, Lover. Hard to get those in order. (laughs) King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. King, Magician, Warrior, Lover. They don't go in an order. It doesn't matter. But it's about these masculine archetypes. And the idea is essentially that archetypes are these these energies that exist collectively um, in everybody. And they might manifest themselves differently. And it can be helpful to describe them as real things that we can touch because you have a sense of what a good king is. You have a sense of what like a strong warrior is or like a powerful magician. Uh, And you can feel these energies inside of yourself and these energies can go awry in a number of ways. And so this book talks about the issues with some of these primal masculine energies. So the first piece is that none of these are matured when you're born. When you're born... Can I hold you up yeah. just so people have a concept?
1: This is a guy who tried to map, psychoanalyze in the 60s, uh, boys becoming to men and their self actualization mm-hmm. right? And it's literally like if you, for people who are listening, it's like two triangles on top of each other. The lower triangle would be what the boy is and it can have two poles. And then as they move towards adulthood, there's another triangle up there and there's the self-actualization with two poles, uh, like light and dark. And then there's four of them, right? Yes. Yeah. Next to each other. So you have the King with the two triangles.
0: And then so like, yeah, uh, if you were to view it visually, it would be eight total triangles. Yes. Four on the bottom floor representing yes. the boy energies four on the top floor representing this the guy man energies it, and it yeah. said this is the archetypes that I see in men so yeah sorry and go so ahead. what those triangles essentially mean is that there's the ideal version of each of these energies so the king you know energy would have king at the top and then on one side to the extreme if you take those energies and you go too hard or you, without nuance you get become a tyrant mm. right so that's like the one bottom side to the to the outside of the goldilocks zone one way and outside of the goldilocks zone the other way is the weakling right or something like that. And so he names these types of energies and then talks about them. And there's there's 24 total, so I'm not going to go through them, but you can imagine if there were eight triangles, each with three points on them, there's, Lots there's of these places. things. And it's helpful to look at these and be like, where do I fall outside of what I know is a centered, mature response to these different things? And so he points out, and I think this is my answer to your Andrew Tate question, is that much of society, men has just haven't evolved past boy psychology. Like, there's nothing wrong with boy psychology except when you're a father and <laughs> leader of men, uh, then it's an issue. And he points to the fact that the hero, the archetypal hero, who goes out, conquers, pushes past limits, uh, slays the, the demon or whatever, uh, is, the, is the pinnacle of boy psychology. But properly integrated, that hero becomes king in man psychology. And those, if you just even think about that, the difference between a hero and king is pretty stark. And he's got a great quote, which I'll um, pull up here real quick about this. So yeah. In the medieval legends about heroes and damsels, we are seldom told what happens once the hero has slain the dragon and married the princess. We don't hear what happened in their marriage because the hero, as an archetype, doesn't know what to do with the princess once he's won her. And so you can see how the hero, for an adolescent, is a perfectly like that's where you're supposed to be, is just striving. And who knows what, what are you going to do. If you, you know, you're becoming at that point. Uh, but at some point, you are now the king. You're, you're Oedipus king, right? And now you've got to take care of the kingdom and worry about the people and the taxes and your wife, right? And it's just a very different uh, way of being. And we haven't modeled that well for young men. Uh, I think another interesting part that we talked about earlier was that the king would preside in his
1: chambers while people would come and he would oversee things. And yeah. so there would be like this energy of like seeing people and yeah. uh, showing them their value and understanding them. And then, uh, you know, giving blessings, which is like another big part you, you mentioned.
0: Sure. So I'll, I'll get to that in one minute. The, the only point I was going to make about Andrew Tate is that I think the reason that he is so appealing is that whereas most of the world is... In boy psychology, he's in man psychology. When I look at him, guy's got warrior. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and he's got king in him as well. I would argue that I have seen the shadow sides of those, right? I see the tyrant in Andrew Tate. I see like the sadist in Andrew Tate. These are the, the shadow poles of these types of things. Um, watching how he, we watched this video with the vice guy. The vice guy did this documentary on him. I watched the documentary. I didn't even think it was fair. Whether the things are true about Andrew or not uh, regarding what happens with this case in Romania, the documentary was edited deceptively and clearly had a bent, and it was obvious that the guy did not reveal that to him when he was sitting with him and talking to him. It was duplicitous. What Andrew did was, once he got out of jail, this guy called him because he needs him for a story. Andrew tells him to fly out to Romania and bring him a box of chocolates if he wants to make up for it. And then when he arrives in Romania, he watches on his CCTV as the guy stands at the gate and he tells him, I just woke up. Come back in two hours. And he, and he just gleefully laughs while this guy Go has a dawn on him that he is being played. being played. Which he can kind of tell, but he needs to kiss the ring because he's a reporter at a failing... You know, vice then went bankrupt and he's he's got nothing at this point. And the glee that I saw in him it's one thing to teach someone with like a wrap on the head and and I do think that there might have been like what you did you, there's a way to teach that lesson I saw uh, an element of like you, s- sadism <laughs> in yeah. that. not not like you know putting screws in his wrist or anything but that but yeah he was toying with his food at mm-hmm. that point and I would argue that that when I look at that I go this is not like the grounded energy that you want to see in your most mature masculine figures. This is uh, this is hurting for the sake of hurting to prove a point about your own superiority. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, seemed, really wrapped up in, and I think some of it is playing a character, but I think some of it is real, in verbally insisting about how great he is and how he can get an interview, and this guy is nothing. Like, I see that when I have watched his stuff. Yeah. That said, he appears to be in man psychology, whereas a lot of people are in boy psychology. There's a lot of posers, a lot of, you know, that stuff. And and when he gets around other influencers, the deference that they have to him is like boys in front of men. Yep. Is what I see. Yeah, yeah. watching the other streamers meet him. It's like
1: they, they literally like like get dad. Yeah, they like like dad's like They're like, it's <laughs> <that's> crazy. <laughs> and like you're established yourself. It's crazy that you don't feel...
0: Yeah, yes, ground in that. So that's you know all of that was just to answer your question about Andrew tape. Going back to the archetypes, the king, which you mentioned, um, the the things that I found powerful that I connected with in that were that centered king energy holds court and sees other people. It invites them in. It reflects back to them who they are. It gives blessings and it's, it's got the power of discernment to see and praise and call out or call out, I know what happened here, like King Solomon. You know the, the story of the women who came with the baby? No, but he split it in half. He said he was going to split it in half and he waited to see who reacted. And the one woman said, she can take it. Please don't kill my baby so we gave the baby the echo. so he said, that is the true mother of the baby. So it's this, this ability to see people. Contrast that with shadow energy, desires to be seen, to be understood, to be recognized, to have your achievement known. And if you think of a king who truly grew up knowing their own status and divinity and dominion that was unchallenged over their own inner land is the need to prove yourself drops to zero at some point, if you're really centered in that. Oh,
1: that's interesting. Um, Game of Thrones did that well with Joffrey in the fight scenes where he needed to fight like John Stark in mm. front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he got very little boy energy and needed to be seen. His pompous talks in front of the court where he said, what should I call my sword? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Widow's whale? <laughs> it's like,
1: yeah, he had he wasn't.
0: And he needed to give speeches and he yes. needed to be seen, seen and he needed to dump stuff on people's heads and you know there's that uh, you can do that with grandeur or with charm or whatever but it's the the, the fundamental question is are you grounded enough that you're constantly demanding that other people see and recognize you or do you actually and I think this is one of the most masculine things that I have felt in myself can you sit quietly (laughs) and hold space and see everything else which is I think sort of some of what Meditation I get mm. from that uh, is not needing to have myself be seen all the damn time you know it's then you know you can talk about how meditation blends with that, I won't go too deep but so that's the king energy I think that that is um are powerful. there any any other ones that resonated with you deeply King was the most king king I went I feel that coming online for me I feel that uh I have always felt like a like i you know, a guy, a dude. But I was like, don't call me, like, you can call me man. Like, yo, yeah, what's up, man? But I was like, I don't like referring to myself as, I'm like, I'm like a guy. And I feel the psychological. I don't get that distinction. Being like, if I was like, who are my friends? You know, that's Charlie. He's a guy. He's a dude. That is like adolescent. I feel very comfortable with that. But being like, I'm the, I am the man of the house felt either pompous, arrogant, overblown, overstuffed, I can feel what a centeredness in that would feel like. And we've known, you know. Did it feel like too much responsibility? No, I've also just, the people that declare themselves the man of the house are often fucking brats. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't have good examples of people walking around being like, you know, okay, everybody. Like, this is how, it was just like, it was Little Caesars that often did that. The people declaring their manhood declared their manhood. Yes, because you didn't have a strong model in that. You never wanted to uh, take up your throne. My throne. The throne. Which and I think everybody has their own throne to be clear. I don't think yeah. that this means dominion over other people. Um, warrior, uh, which is, you know, contrasted with the sadist and the masochist are the two poles of that. Interesting thing about that is that he suggests that it's terrified of femininity. Uh, that both sides of it are struggling with the softness of the world in a way and are like fighting against that in themselves and when gone awry the warrior can't put his sword down can't recognize that the day is won can't recognize that it's time for rest can't and and hates the part of himself that wants needs and craves an end to she's got all the Game of Thrones references yeah. Braun does that well <laughs> he's integrated the feminine and he's put his sword down and he's married a, a woman a rich woman a rich woman <laughs> He was uh, written in. He is one of the better elements of the show. Yeah. He was not as big a character in the books. Uh, magician. Interesting thing about the magician is that the magician, which I connect with, I feel like that's the one that has been easiest for me, is capable of making hard things look easy. He can turn, you know. Precocious is the word he used. Precocious is like, that's the child form of the magician is the precocious child, which I was like, oh, that was, that was me. Yeah. Um, and, the difference between an integrated magician in manhood and, and not as integrated shadow side is truth versus manipulation. Uh, magician being someone who understands the truth, speaks the truth, shares the truth as appropriate. Dark magician or shadow magician, as it's called, it can go either way. On the one hand, you have the, um, the feigning fool I think he's got like a name for it. Like the person who acts as if they don't know what's going on as a powerful way to avoid responsibility. Helplessness,
1: using helplessness yeah, to like avoid responsibility.
0: Yeah, like not knowing and, oh, I didn't realize, you know, like you will step on your toe, it, metaphorically speaking, and, you know, bump into you and, and uh, express their frustration, resentment, anger, need to control you in ways that they can not take ownership of. And then the other side being sort of like the know-it-all who lords their ability to do things over others is not trying to bring others into the fold of knowing, but but holds them at bay and themselves above, sort of like a cult leader. You know what I mean? That they've got the prized knowledge and they couldn't possibly egalitarianly disseminate that. That's got it's got to only come from them.
1: Right. Um, uh, the magician stuff that we talked about in the previous. Uh, felt strong kinship with learning, dating, and pickup stuff, which was Mm -hmm. like uh, the the swing into the dark side of the dark magician was like a (laughs) lot of what they teach. And sort of like you don't embody the thing. You kind of like learn the lines, and they kind of just get what you want. But like uh, there's no, um, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like
0: um, what are the two sides of the magician in the triangle? It's the shadow magician, which is the one who is – like nefarious in his ways, which could be a cult leader, and then it's the the, f- the feigning fool or what I don't okay. know the exact. Maybe name. it
1: doesn't hit exactly, but a lot of the stuff they teach and pick up, which is like say these lines, and they'll get the outcome
0: that you want. No, but no, it's that's like that that could be shadow magician, which is okay. I have a secret knowledge that I am not going to tell you about. That I'm using these lines on you. Mm to get a reaction that I want out of you. Right. Right. And it works like magic, you know, and it, this right. is all I have to do. I just cast these, these words on you. I've learned this series of things that will make you like me. Yeah. And what, the,
1: some of the earliest stuff I learned with the charisma on command stuff was like being insecure around women and talking about your accomplishments. One of the ways that you can have better conversations and you, they can learn more about you is to talk more confidently about yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like you can tell somebody, um, I'm like, you know, a huge business leader and an entrepreneur and I choose where I want to live. And that can be sort of like in a manipulation of what you are and what you do rather than what you are and what you do and are talking. There's a difference between talking confidently about yourself when you're insecure and not like overcoming that versus like just fucking lying Mm -hmm. (laughs) to trick. Yeah. Um, Which I felt like an imposter for uh, a period of time in the in, in the early dating, like talking about yourself in a
0: positive way. Yeah, because I think what people probably want to do is they know that if they say that they're a successful entrepreneur, that that works better, <laughs> right? Or they say... And I think the ec- exclusion of some stuff is in, is also a lie, yes. which is like, I choose where I live. It's like, you're unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that there there is with all of this stuff, there is no clear line. It is a felt energy inside of yourself, which is like, are you, when you say that you are a digital nomad, did you actually just get fired and move somewhere? <laughs> or are you in month four of six starting your business? And it's and there's a way to be honest about every stage of your life that is... Both, I think, sincere and attractive to a degree, right, to varying degrees. It's always going to be more attractive to have fucking, I don't know, just won the Kentucky Derby or whatever than it is to have just been fired. But, yeah, I think that there is a way to artfully and sincerely dig into why you moved to Brazil, why you're there, what's going on. Hold both your freshness, your newness, your commitment, and your ambition in a communication and then there's a way to punch all of it up to 12 and be insincere about, yeah, yeah. about that sort of stuff. And what's the difference? It's where you come from. Where's the energy? What is your intention for how, what you want this person to understand about you? Do they, do you want them to see you and know the truth or do you not want that? Yeah. And I think that's, that is the fundamental difference. Is Do you want the truth? That's the question of the magician. Like, do you want it in yourself? Do you want it for others? Mm. Um, And if you don't want it, what you want is varying degrees of manipulation to get what you would like out of any particular situation. Yeah. And it's tough to want the truth. And this is why he says they kind of need to go together because the truth in some situations might lead certain girls to walk away from you. One of those girls could be your wife because you did something to betray her. It could be, you know, a business partner, a friend, uh, anything, right? So yeah, it's it's tough to, you can't fake it at some point. There's like, do you, are you, do you believe that there is, this is kind of Jordan Peterson to a degree. Do you believe that there is a magical spiritual quality of the truth that will benefit you even if you can't see how? And I think mm. that there's an element of that that is that sort of faith and trust in, yes, I may get fired. Yes, people may dogpile me. But I just believe that the truth is better than not the truth. And that that core belief, I think, sort of infuses that uh, archetype. Well said. And then there's the lover, which is uh, sounds like lover, but I think fundamentally is at its uh, the way that is most healthy integrated. It's the most human part in the sense that it's connected to the body, sensations, good food, good wine, uh, you know, sex, all of those sorts of things that are embodied experiences of life. Pushed to one side, you become a glutton, a glutton, or Casanova, or whatever, and it's just you want to just taste everything in the world. The other side is a bit like the ascetic who is does those things but is disconnected from the connection to this world in all of them. Um, and I didn't have a ton to say about that one, but I thought... When I sort of combine everything now that we've talked about for the big finale, <laughs> uh, what... My, my thoughts generally on this masculinity thing is that I don't know that it's a crisis of masculinity. I think... Better said, it is a realization that society, probably for a long time, has not embodied uh, a level of maturity that it could. And I don't know that there was a time 300 or 500 or 10,000 years ago when men were men and women were women that was more mature. I suspect it was uh, violent outbursts that might have been what was necessary to get through that time period, but which we would not look at and go, oh, that's what the mature masculine looks like. You know, the way that Mayan guy took 93 people and put them on the top of the pyramid and cut their heads off to make the, to make it rain, <laughs> right? Like, or whatever it was. We didn't need to rip their hearts out in order to do human sacrifices. <laughs> that was not this. I, part of my issue with, you know, the crisis of masculinity imp- implies that things were okay before. A time before. When and they were just
1: lower on the masses hierarchy and couldn't actually reach self-actualization. Yes. Like, great. You had to go to war and die and then it was solved because you're dead.
0: We have the opportunity to, as dark as it is, like to do self-harm today because we are not constantly defending ourselves from the harm that the world would foist upon us. And so, yeah, those things are on the rise. That's improvement in a lot of ways. And the other piece is that I don't know that it's just a crisis of masculinity because I'm sure that there's a female equivalent to this and fatherless, while fatherlessness obviously impacts boys, it obviously impacts girls as well in terms of, and then I think what it all is, is it's sort of this unified cycle of women, you know, men, for whatever reason, dad isn't there. Dad isn't emotionally present. Dad, you know, leaves the home. You get, uh, now a society where women don't depend on men as much so they can go out and have children increasingly without men, which means you have more homes without dads. You have more guys that are like that, meaning more women that didn't have dads. And, uh, it's, yeah, I it seems like a um when I think of what I want to fix in my life, it is that I don't know that people have access to embodied role models that are really good in their life. And
1: it's, it seems like a good point to bring up the difference between what you mentioned this which I found fascinating is like all your role models that you had earlier mm-hmm. were authors, male authors. Yeah. And I said um all my role models were just like sports athletes uh, for the embodied what I perceived as uh, centeredness and give it basketball as someone who could, uh, under tough times, perform at their very best and not let the... Um, circumstances affect them was like a representation, a physical representation that their mind was okay. Mm-hmm. You know, they made the shot. They can always make it in the open gym when they're wide open. What's the difference now with a thousand screaming fans? The difference is the the pressure mm. and uh, it's a physical representation of like, and then to go into the d- different um, like archetypes, like Michael Jordan is definitely like on the sadist <laughs> or like masochist <laughs> side where he like, doesn't sleep and has to fucking play 18 holes of golf that day and yeah. win at everything and like never give up. And, um, and then there's probably other guys that I mentioned like, uh, like Damian Lillard's, um, who worked hard, were persistent, uh, made the shots in the big moments. I don't think they have like a psychotic like element to them, which I would think Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant did, which mm-hmm. was like, um, I'll harm myself. Kobe had what he called blackout days, which he would just work out for eight hours until he blacked
0: out. Doesn't seem like <laughs> that's massive. Masoch- that's the masochist. Yeah, is, yeah.
1: And um, I don't know. Seems like a healthier dose of like mm-hmm. centeredness, able to take on tough conflict, lead people, and be the guy they can count on in tough times. Yeah, yeah.
0: I uh, well you brought- in basketball, <laughs> you brought up a couple of things. So one is yeah, we have different role models both of us are disconnected in a huge way from those role models and obviously our dad, it was our dad and, and yeah, yeah. formed the backbone of what we both understand to be a man but when I look at like my opportunity to have contact with older generations and, and witness them and feel their presence and watch them live, not just watch them on television or read their best words in a book but see them live, I didn't really have a ton of that and I don't think when you, know, you look at growing up, it was... You know, your mom takes care of you and maybe you get a sitter at some point, and you've got a bunch of women teachers that are, you know, taking care of a bunch of kids. We had one male gym teacher and and dad. And that was like and then cousins from time to time that were that were there. But there's not this uh there was not, I think wise old man didn't have one of those Man had two grandpas, but no wise old man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, somebody who like imparted that level of wisdom on me wasn't, wasn't there. Uh, and at various stages there wasn't, yeah, the, the, just the, the ability to witness and feel connected to that, which, which means a ton at, I realize all ages. And so now for me to go, it would probably be good in my life if I had 35, 45, 55 year olds that I like experienced talked to yeah men's groups um and uh i this doesn't need to be excluded to men just i think that generational lack of communication that our society is sort of engendered is not very healthy uh so yeah the other thing that you were saying is the basketball players that yeah it seems like which is understandable the people who excel to the absolute pinnacle of their craft are likely to have to sacrifice everything else to do it, mm-hmm. and that is going to give you models that are not um, always. And this it's not a one hundred percent thing, but there's there's uh, huge going to be glaring elements of their life that are not in balance. Taking Michael Jordan as a as a for instance. Um, and so, yeah, you look at you know, whatever, the Elon Musk's. He's got all the money in the world and, like, I don't know how many baby mamas and, you know, one of them works at Twitter and one of his kids is a, doesn't want anything to do with him and has changed her name and, and that sort of thing. So there's... Uh, not that Elon Musk's job is to be a role model. Maybe his job is just to get us to Mars. I don't know. <laughs> <But> he's, like, <laughs> trying to save humanity. Yeah, maybe that's... And that's okay. That could be his job. But when I look at... Are there round like maybe maybe there are, but they're not. They're not showing reaching, up they, on social media. They don't want to reach. Not, they don't not wanna, hanging out with me, and they're not no, hanging they're, out with my friends. They're and they're standard. not. They're like living in their house with their family quietly <laughs> wherever yes. wherever they are. Yeah, maybe they're out there, but they are not prominently featured. And in a world where social media has an asymmetry of everyone in the world can know this one person, it's not always the fully integrated people who step up and go, hey, this is what life can look like.
1: Yeah, it's also not the medium for it, and that's a shame.
0: Yeah, so I don't know what the core issue is, but as a number of people who I read were sort of pointing to, people argue, is it a crisis of masculinity or femininity? Do we need more masculinity? Do we need less men or more femininity? I think a, a fairer way to look at it is we're trying to do is generally is mature these sorts of things right it's if you have a ton of boy energy, is it too much or too little masculinity? you can call it too little, but like what you want are more gang warrior magician lover types mm-hmm. that are uh are balanced and are growing in that, or and- a war, and just draft people <laughs> and kill them <laughs> that's wrong <laughs> everyone's satisfied there <laughs> got the guys dying for their No more incarceration, right? Yeah. Yeah, That would, I mean, and that's one way to deal with those superficial problems that we, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Just wanted to round that out. Just wanted to make sure everybody (laughs) remembers that we do have other options. We have other options. Yeah. Um, and then a couple other things. So that was, that was what I've been thinking about a lot this week and I'm sure it'll continue to develop. And then the, the other big thing, this isn't big. It's just what I thought. It's like, how can you help? What do you do? And it's, it's trite, but it's like the thing, the, the maximum contribution that I will have to this problem is by being myself, right? Trying to fit what this problem needs is getting into the same loop of like, how do I be helpful and make a name for myself? And the, (laughs) you know, how do I have a solution to this problem? And I could feel that energy pointing to me.
1: Oh, interesting. I was wondering, um, and tell me what your analysis of this is like, maybe we should go to a boys and girls club. And just like play basketball with them.
0: I think that counts as being myself. Yeah, yeah. And it could be and I was being like, myself. I would like and to do that myself. at some point. Yeah. It,
1: uh, some resistance to it, but also like I, if I was that kid, would deeply love that yeah. someone older came and threw the ball hard.
0: Bro, wow, be- he throws at fifty miles per hour. <laughs> we probably did it twice, man. I remember this do you remember sixth grade, first grade? Where they would have a sixth grader oh, come you would in hold and hands read to them, and they you would get a Walk buddy, down the hall, you get a random sixth grader that would read a book once or twice a year, and yeah. you were and you did it twice. It was almost never, yeah. And I remember that, yeah. And I remember being the sixth grader and thinking how cool it was, yeah. To and this kid was just like stunned, I was cool, yeah, you he know, he didn't he doesn't, know, he, doesn't, <laughs> he can't go to the second grade halls, let alone the sixth grade halls, so yeah, I think, and, and I, I, I'm glad you said that, but, not but, and I think that is, I want to do that when I, and if I, and I started, I have started to genuinely feel that call, and that desire to do that, um, but yeah, I've spent, uh, god, I spent some time with our, uh, our assistant's son, He came over and played the game and it's it's a couple things that I realized. One, it's like, I don't hang out with kids that much. I don't have a ton of experience. I don't know how like, coochie coo I'm supposed to be versus how like. (laughs) Just speak to him. By the way, he's he's nine nine. (laughs) (laughs) or 10 now. (laughs) But you know what I mean is like, look, I have a mode of communicating that is 35. That's a podcast. That's a podcast. I'm not supposed to speak to him like this. No. No, I'm not supposed to coochie coo him either. Where's nine? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where nine is, mm-hmm. where he's telling me a story about how he broke his arm yesterday. Am I supposed to go, you don't have a cast on. So where's your cast? <laughs> That's not what a broken arm is. What Which- you're doing is magician, <laughs> and it's a lie. <laughs> he broke my arm, and I broke him's arm. He told me. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a liar, dude. You're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm done with this relationship if you're going to continue to do that. Set yeah, yeah, strong boundaries, dude. <laughs> go ahead to put them in the sand. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, there's those sorts of... Uh, Things that I, I just don't know how to do. And so I was, oh, okay. You broke your arm. Pretty cool. And then we, you know, watched him play Zelda. Helped him with a couple of the shrines. And uh, told Dude, him that's how, what life is about. Told him how to cook food. And he was thrilled.
1: You was just thrilled. led the next generation through a huge problem.
0: Yeah. He couldn't cook. He was having a hard time. But the, uh, what, I, what I was thinking as I was there and I realized is don't sweat it. Your presence is meaningful. Like, literally just sitting in the room with him while he plays the game is, you know, he's not going to remember it forever, but it's I think that that's sort of what I'm talking about. It's just, like, encounters with people that uh, care about you, doesn't have to be up in your grill the whole time, don't have to teach him to throw the perfect spiral, don't have to help him, you know, but it could be. It could be throwing. We've played badminton together, that sort of stuff, taught him to hit it with the racket a little bit better. I think that that stuff um, counts, you know?
1: Yeah. It's also interesting because you're my brother, and I just remembered you also made Chris and which is like literally like helping the next generation with what you learned. Mm -hmm. Um, Just an interesting thought. I was like, oh, yeah, like you already do this. The fact that you're asking these questions is obviously why you made COC. You know what I mean? You asked this question, then read two books, and then realized the things, and then compiled all the ways in which you thought it would be helpful. There would be a solution, and then now you're sharing them online yeah yeah i was like
0: oh yeah this is your mode yes it was an extension that question was you know what's my next act it's like it's the same act it's the same act just the same act but older (laughs) it's just it's it would same name different name whatever it's be there for the for the next guy yeah you know or girl i think that's important too yeah Uh, i don't i hope that i've said this enough times that i don't think this i kind of dislike i know that it it attracts a wider audience when you talk about the problem with men today, or the problem with women today, versus saying and pointing the, f- the finger at the opposite sex. That well, that that's going to attract the widest audience. Yes, but if you say the problem with maturity today, no one cares, or the lack, the problem with materialism today, no one cares. No, the title and thumbnail of this of podcast, of masculinity, though. Will be- is attractive but i but i think that all of these things impact women i think they might impact them on average in slightly different ways but i do think that some of the solutions of like women need positive male role models too i think that's going to change women's behavior no i have life. some serious
1: questions about the yeah. women picking up some of the masculine traits and how that works oh, out could, for them
0: we can talk about that so that's another thing i'm glad yeah that i didn't touch on is um some of these books sort of point to the idea that since the women's lib movement that women have entered the domain of men and things that we previously thought women could not succeed in, they are succeeding in, they're out in the workplace, they're earning money, they're not just... These, they're opening bank accounts. They're not simply <laughs> hysterical, needing to be treated by the gynecologist for their hysteria, you know. They are um, they're showing aspects and sides of themselves that we might have thought impossible or just that's not how the genders work. And in doing so, they've opened up a greater freedom for themselves and what that has done is without intending to, that has encroached on this territory that used to be the, the way that men attracted women and got women. So what happens now for men? Because if you look back and you go, okay, so women have stepped into these masculine roles, have men stepped into feminine roles? And the answer is not nearly as much. And can a masculine man integrate the feminine in a healthy way that isn't simply, um, stepping backwards or denying his true essence and that might look like greater emotional intelligence or mm. uh facility with feelings openness to compassion ability to rest and receive as opposed to produce you know constantly um is there any like something maybe
1: i heard something about a divorce rate going up because the women yeah the divorce uh,
0: rate has been going up like crazy since since we opened that thing up for <laughs> it might have dipped in like recent years but yeah it's up it's up tremendously.
1: Yeah, I still have the question of, like, what's going on with women who've picked up some masculine traits?
0: I think what these books posit and seems fair— Do they marry little boys? They Do they marry little boys? Um, I don't think that there's—I I don't immature. know what— I don't think there's a lot of mature men out there, period. So, yeah, women are probably marrying some form of boys. Mm-hmm. If the women, on average, let's say, like, that they're increasingly growing up in fatherless homes— what do they look for in a man? Well, they're looking for someone who's absent, <laughs> right? They're looking for someone who they can't count on to be there. That's their model mm. for what a man is. And, or, or if it is, it's, you know, they hear from their mom that he's no good, this, that, and the other thing. Well, do you want to stick with that guy once you don't need him anymore? Or are you just going to find someone that confirms that belief about men, mm. get, you know, get pregnant, have the baby and then get in a fight and now you have sole custody and he's not that present. Yeah. Uh, That's, that's one of the worst case scenarios, but it is not uncommon. And uh, I think that there's variations of that, which is because there are not a lot of women, women are not looking for that type of man. They're looking for um, a myth that was told to them about a Prince Charming type guy that, can't ever exist and you know men are not living up to that and you're having more women without children at age 30 than ever before and you're having you know all that sort of stuff is happening in america so oh no i oh, am yeah. and it's all okay i like the crisis is i think if this is a crisis we're always in crisis is my is my guess right if this counts as a crisis then i think every stage of human dynamics is, is in crisis for one reason or another. So it's okay. Uh, but doesn't mean that we can't look to it, address it. And I think that maturity, all those sorts of things. I also think one, one thing that I was reflecting on is who are the, who are the people that have stepped into this gap? You know, you've got like Tim Ferriss was important for me, but Andrew Tate's big now. Jordan Peterson is T- big Tony now. Robbins, Tony Robbins, you
1: mean as Back far as the like day, the, the yeah. stronger, masculine, uh, front-facing, here's how you pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Here's how to David, be a man. There's here's, a ton of people, though. There's, yes. With the rise of social media, I can rattle off a bunch of names. Yes. Do you mean like the apex of it? Because the top five can, are wildly different. You got like Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate which yeah, is I was just, wide, I was just way, way thinking of those style.
0: guys. Who are, who, are, who are they? I was curious as I thought about it. Which of them? Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast. my question was, which, if any, of them um, meditate in a significant way? And I don't mean like 15 minutes because it helps you be more productive. I mean like in a big way. And I wonder, I wonder. I mean, Andrew Tate spent
1: 70 days in jail. I don't think he was really doing anything other than thinking.
0: Mm-hmm. That's not the same as meditation, though. Just to be clear. I don't know if he meditated in jail. True. Uh, the reason that I ask is because as I, I'm, I'm 0% expert, but as I've done a bit more meditation, I did an hour and a half the other day, uh, there's something that feels, I don't know if it's masculine, but it might be, deeply masculine, I would, I'll risk, and I'll check it in a couple of weeks if this doesn't feel true, um, about the process of sitting with, and it's almost that king energy of like, seeing everything come, your body is your go. temple? Yeah, and it's like, see the thoughts come, see the thoughts go. You know, mm-hmm. see them enter, see them leave. You don't need to involve yourself in everything. You can just hold space and hold court for all of this sort of stuff. And that seems like a powerful energy that isn't present in a huge way in the current zeitgeist. I'm sure that there are, he, obviously, there are people who meditate and have. I've watched them on YouTube and the Eckhart Tolle's and all those sorts of things, but they um, they don't do well in short-form content. <laughs> Russell Brand maybe is the closest. Yeah, great, great point. Uh, but he doesn't get his meditation content, does terribly. It's his uh, political problem. There's an issue loud that gets the most attention. Yeah. So there's also something about the shape of our technology that I think... I think it probably feels a lot better to be in the same room as someone who's like a seasoned meditator, but they're probably not very fun to engage with on your telephone. Absolutely not. Yeah. So, so the mode of expression of someone's power and potential as a role model is just not captured by the way that we're we're doing it, which is another another problema. Yeah. Anything you wanted to add? No, my mind is blank right now because I have meditated and I am a king. <laughs> I don't know how much. Um, Beautiful. I was thinking through this at at how different some of my responses were to the examples that I was reading. But then I dug in. I was like, oh, they're the same at a deeper level. So one of the books was just talking about how fear for people is just a a thing that happens where you shut down and then you retreat. And I trained myself when I was afraid to shut down and move towards (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just wide-eyed yes Eyes roll so back is, in your head. you know you're scared of this social situation get in there and to be clear the value of moving towards was so much greater than the value of moving away from mm-hmm. the things that I learned etc but there is a really important difference between I think the experience of meditating with fear and experiencing fear and holding your center versus feeling fear of a social situation and having such a discomfort arise in you that you move immediately towards it to deal with it, handle it, and escape it. And it is a very, very different experience, one which I'm trying to cultivate more now, to be able to be with emotions and not need to act in either direction in order to get them to go away. So... I'm not recommending because this is not, like, actionable, but, you know, you're afraid to talk to that person or ask her on a date, so you just pop squat and meditate. (laughs) But that I learned to, quote, unquote, conquer fear by blowing it away and never really giving it the opportunity to, like, blossom and flower. And I think when you do that, you can push fear into other aspects of your life and into your subconscious and into all these sorts of things. And what you have is someone who's, like, socially very comfortable And seems to have conquered fear. And in some way has like bullied fear and pushed fear around. But has not witnessed and transcended fear. And I've not done that. And I want to. I feel that. And I feel how different that is to just like. Because subtly, what happens when when I get afraid to a degree is there's a disconnection from your body. There's disconnection from the sweating hands or the, or the beat red face or all of those sorts of things. You're just you're just going. And I and I've learned to one go through that and just continue going. And two, have situations that used to trigger it no longer trigger it. But that's not the same as I'm with you, fear. I'm present. That to me is the difference of like hero and king energy. Mm. Hero is like, ah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like cuts right through it. And King is just like, welcome, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Here we are. What uh, do you share, you know? That yeah. sort of a thing. Um, so I'd like to, I'm feeling a lot more called to just traditional meditation these days and uh, breath work too. I'm doing a lot of, all that to say, which I wrote down. Still better to move towards than away, generally speaking, when you're out there in the world. But it's not the end game, I think. And just some things for Mr. Nice Guy that I wrote. Um, the ability to send love without solving someone's problem is really hard for me. I often tried it like, I used to think, you know, you come to me with a question about your YouTube channel or uh, somebody comes to me with a question about their thing. Like, I've learned not to get involved and do the project for them. But energetically, I really so badly want to have the correct answer such that I either with you or with other people need to advise, help, solve, or disconnect. Like what I struggle to do is to just, okay, let's sit, (laughs) you know, and you can tell me all of your problems and I'm just there. You know,
1: <laughs> like I want someone to have some feedback mm-hmm. if it's me personally, but I understand the differences of yeah. like, uh, Where try, that, what you're trying from? to escape, what you're trying to escape versus what you're trying to give yeah. is actually not very healthy. It's in a running away and disconnection from your authentic yes. self, which is uncomfortable yes. because me, I'm close to you and I seem to be in pain or whatever the situation yeah, yeah. is, is
0: an uncomfortable situation for you. The profundity of, I think, the advice that you give when it is not a an escape giving of advice but is a genuine offering, there's a difference. And I felt that difference inside of myself. And again, all of this stuff gets very complicated because... There's at this point, there's no behavior that I can advise you that's going to and ethereal. Steer like we're talking about uh, not specific situations with tactical advice. It's like this is why I think having role models that you can experience and feel them, and you mm. can feel the difference between someone who is advising to escape or advising to be supportive or advising to be liked, and someone who is advising as an offering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, and that, when once you've felt both. Enough times, which probably doesn't take too many, you can feel the difference. And yeah, so there's nothing I can say that is like, here is your checklist to make sure you're doing one and not the other. Both can have actions that look strikingly similar, but they mm-hmm. come from different places, and I and I do think they have profoundly different results over over time. So yeah, that these, I mean, these are the things that I wrote for myself. Um, yeah, that that some of my stubbornness was like an understanding of what it was to be a nice guy and pushing back against it, you know, that that I was like, oh, well, nice guys are pushovers. I'm going to (laughs) be. I'm I'm going to do everything she wants to give her a hard time. I'm going to be a pain in the butt (laughs) while still maintaining the core of that energy in in many situations. I mentioned this, but I just wrote it. The, The thing that I see that it sort of unifies so much of all these men who seem so different, these red pill guys, these whatever it's like, is that there's this, just this deep obsession and need for the feminine like totally consumed by it whole podcast with these girls that they yell at and how stupid they are and they don't do it and they don't even know but they're just obsessed with what women want and what women think of them and uh i understand it i i can relate it is wildly transparent to me i have no desire to persuade any of them because i know that i'm not going to but i you know the rise of these podcasts where it is five young girls that want to be on camera With a couple of dudes telling them that that's hoe behavior is just like, yeah, it's... (laughs) It's a symptom of exactly
1: what they're trying to fight against. Yes,
0: you are raging against how much these women control you. So you're taking an avatar that you can yell at because she's not the particular one that has total control over you. Mm -hmm. But it dominates your life, your thoughts, your value system, your worth everything mm. and it fucking hurts to have that dominate you so, so you beat need, her up so on a podcast Beat her uh. up on a podcast whether <laughs> whether you're the one who can't get the love or can and you don't care it's the same domination that is felt mm. in that and i i see it <laughs> it's it is uh undeniable um and you know this is one of the things that i wrote from my childhood, which may be true of other people. I think one of the things that I experienced with a lot of the women in my life that is not allowed, that was more allowed with my dad um, was what was not allowed was righteous anger at maintaining my boundaries, you know? And it could be steamy and childlike and kicking, screaming at times, but I definitely felt safer. And that, you know, it was a, in one aspect, a symptom of the dysfunction in my relationship with dad was that I could fight, him more but it was also a symptom of the health of our relationship was that i could feel those feelings in his presence towards him directed at him in a way that i couldn't with mom and i look at my friends in their romantic relationships and their memories of their mothers and there's like no anger (laughs) there's there's no you know pissed offness and it's like oh I, and I've, I've felt this sometimes in journeys that we've done that have been led. It's like, oh, generally speaking, I think that on average, women struggle sometimes with the intensity of anger that can come from boys and men and maybe even daughters as well. But that, uh, that doesn't mean that we don't have a bunch of angry people. It means that we have a bunch of people who learn that anger directly expressed leads to abandonment. And so they find subversive ways to express their anger, which are unhealthy. Um, does that make sense? It's wordy, but I'm down for it. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Oh, and Jordan Peterson's take is that, yeah, that we have, um, the, that there's this, this is the Jonathan hate Jordan Peterson, is that there's this feminization, we mentioned this before, of uh, that some of the women in colleges who are childless that have even um, infantilized the college experience and so one of the things that contributes to all of this is this extended not just adolescence but childhood where children are coddled to a degree that is words hurt and you know uh, mental pain is physical pain you know what I mean like if your feelings are harmed then that is an attack on you and triggers that upset you ought to be treated as if there is a th- someone did something to you and the correction is not in your own internal system but to them. So we have to stop the person who said the word that upset you and by the way let's catalog all the worlds that could upset you and in this way you have created what this guy from the book would call the high chair tyrant which is the toddler stamping his feet screaming Mm. that he won't eat this but you have college kids and beyond who are this they're high chair tyrants. Uh, They're screaming about how the world is without doing any sort of inner reflection of the only inner reflection they do is to find more victimhood uh, in themselves so that they can use that, turn that on the world to get what they want the world to do for them. Yes. Which is be seen, which is be seen. Uh, and what they need is not more of that. What they need is one. They need to fix that child thing and be brought into a, like they got a lot of work to do at that point because that's like the immature child expression of the archetype you need to get that child archetype down and they're then at the beginning to, of their simp journey yeah, too. And then you gotta get up to the man archetype <laughs> and then figure that stuff out or woman archetype uh, we shot our patrons already uh, if you guys wanna check that out it means a lot to the cast anything that you guys do one we answer your questions over there but uh, two it is the source of income for this podcast. The other amount is being funded by me at this point until such a time where we get enough from AdSense or grow the podcast. But uh, it does sincerely mean a lot and it helps me to to justify why I lose money on this every single month, (laughs) every (laughs) single day technically every second of every day i do if yeah. you just fractionalize it so <laughs> <laughs> That's how but it means a lot and uh, we appreciate it so if you want to support us uh, patreon is the best way to do it and we have your questions and uh, learnings from the business which this week wasn't a ton but in other weeks there's a lot of interesting things that i share so check that out in patreon see you guys later peace peace